Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Bottom of Revolution. I am your host, Tiffany Owens-Reed. I am a writer at Strong Towns, and I am delighted to also be the host of this show, where I bring you conversations with ordinary people who are putting Strong Towns principles into action in their communities. The point of this show really is to hopefully encourage people who listen um, that Strong Towns sometimes might, might seem um, complex or really uh, for smart people or experts or technically trained people. And I, I personally know that sometimes Strong Towns concepts can sound overwhelming um, and I might feel like, oh, I don't, I would not know how to do that in the community where I live. But that's why we have this podcast, because it's really all about showing you that with just a variety of small and courageous steps, you can put these principles into action in ways that align with your strengths. So today I am joined um, by Jennifer Gogren. Um, She is a resident of San Diego, California, outside of her full-time job in marketing. Jennifer runs the Strong Towns Toastmasters group, where folks interested in cities and public speaking gather every week online to refine their speaking skills while talking about various urban issues and strong towns concepts. Jennifer is mom to two kids, and with her husband, she runs an adventure story podcast for children called The Adventures of Red Knight, which we'll link to in the show notes if you're interested. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tiffany. Thanks for having me today. We wrote your intro uh, right before recording, and you doubt it if I could say that sentence in one breath. Your doubts were not unfounded. That was that was kind of tricky. <laughs> uh, you know, when I saw that sentence, I was thinking, oh, she's going to have to take a big breath. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are not wrong. And I love how you noticed that right off the jump. That's a true sign of someone who, uh, who understands the art of public speaking, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit in this in this conversation. But uh, to get things started, tell me, can you tell me about where you're from? Where's home for you? Certainly. Well, you're talking a little bit earlier when we were chatting about how it's 80 degrees where you live in Texas today. I live in beautiful San Diego and it's about 75 degrees here. I grew up here uh, it's it's impossible to leave because the weather is so nice. I Sorry. Sorry, everybody else who's having those flurries of snow across the country. My tiny town, um, San Diego is considered to be a city of villages. So the part of San Diego that I grew up in is Ocean Beach. And it's right at the end of the 8 freeway that goes all the way across the country. Well, it ends right at the beach. OB, uh, when I was growing up, was kind of a hippie town. It still is, but it's gotten a lot more expensive over the years. And it's very self-contained. Uh, when, especially when I was growing up, it'd have everything you need, the hardware store, the grocery store, a local pet store, um, lots of small businesses run by the local people. Great place to grow up. Would you consider it a city? Would you consider it more of a town? How do you think it's of a, it? It's a town in San Diego. We have Pacific Beach. We have La Jolla. We have, there's, there's so many different parts of San Diego and each of them has a distinctive flavor. So Ocean Beach is considered to be the hippie town. Pacific Beach is more like the party uh, beach town. (laughs) Then there's an island, Coronado Island, and that's where a lot of wealthy people live. You know, there's, there's kind of all these different areas. Yeah. Um, So uh, the way you're describing where you grew up, 
it sounds like something that a lot of people who appreciate strong towns would appreciate, like having lots of local businesses, having things you can, it sounds like everything was pretty easy to access in a, in a short window of time, either like maybe by bike or foot. Um, but was that something that you grew up like recognizing like, oh, this is so great. Or can, can you tell me a little bit about how, like how you became city aware, how you were able to look back on where you grew up and recognize the value of all those things? Yeah, well, I I was spoiled. I honestly didn't move out of Ocean Beach until I moved away from home. I lived there even as I was going to college. So I was completely spoiled by this town where I could walk to everything. Great restaurants too, I have to say. You can walk and you can walk to the beach. I mean, absolutely fabulous. What more do you need? <laughs> yeah, so so it wasn't until after I graduated from college and had to leave Ocean Beach that I started realizing, oh, I have to drive around everywhere. This is kind of not great. Don't really like it. And then at, at one point, um, my husband and I were thinking about buying property in San Diego. We realized, oh, we, we just can't afford this at all. So we started looking in other places. And I didn't realize that the structure of these other places was so different from where I had grown up. For instance, one of the places we looked at was near where some of my family lived in Colorado. And they basically had taken a cornfield and put a bunch of houses there. So we drove like to this place in the middle of the cornfield where all these houses were stamped out. And I was like, well, this is weird. There's nothing around here. And my aunt, who was taking us around, she said, oh, well, you know, it's a bedroom community. And I'm like, bedroom community? That seems kind of pointless. I want to be able to live <laughs> and sleep. I don't want to just go home for a brief amount of time, sleep in my bed, and then leave <laughs> and drive 45 minutes or whatever it takes to get to a job. It just didn't really seem like a lot of fun to me, especially <laughs> since... <laughs> I love how that's I your criteria. <laughs> like, how about we just think about that again? You know, like, hmm, what makes it fun to live in our city? Yeah, exactly. And then I noticed that a lot of my coworkers, I was working in the electronics industry. A lot of them were were in a much higher tax bracket than me. I was just starting my career and they are all high-end RF engineers. They're commuting, they usually had 30 to 45 minute commutes and they would commute from these really nice neighborhoods in North County. Now, one of the things that I noticed was that a lot of them had long working hours and long commutes. They were spending a lot of money for very, very nice, very large houses that they didn't necessarily spend a lot of time in. And to me, that's also a waste. You grew up Ocean Beach, right, is what it's called? Yep, Ocean Beach. Ocean Beach, okay. So so finish this story for us. So as you guys are processing, I, I guess this is kind of when you're really starting to to think about kind of like the patterns of design and the pattern and, and how design shapes how the, the kind of life you can actually build for yourself. Yeah. So we decided not to move ultimately. We also have a lot of family here. So that's, that's a usually a very large decision when people are trying to choose where they live is if they're close to family. We decided not to move and instead become just probably renters for the rest of our lives. And that's because in every point in our lives, there's no homes that were affordable to buy. There are always 10 times 
our household income. And I'm, I'm fairly financially conservative. I would prefer to have it be three to four times, <laughs> which is a reasonable amount. But when it's 10 times and the rent was very much lower, it's usually you could rent the similarly sized place for about half of what you would pay for a mortgage. So we're, we are lifelong renters in San Diego. And that has allowed us to stay here where we would have had to otherwise move if we wanted to purchase a property. What became more clear for you from that whole experience, in addition to realizing like how important family was and wanting to be close, just in terms of thinking about um, now that you had seen these other options for how cities can be arranged, um, what did you appreciate more about Ocean Beach or what, what really stuck with you from that, from that experience? Ocean Beach and a lot of the other small areas in San Diego, because right now I don't live in Ocean Beach anymore, but I can still walk to the grocery store. It's only about mm, half a mile or so away. The kids can walk to school. I can walk downtown to Little Italy for the farmer's market. I could walk a lot of places from where I live. And they're all great walks too, because these, these houses are all rather expensive the place that I live, it's a mixture of houses built at all different time periods. You have these large estates, you know, with their their beautiful like landscape and their 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 fancy walkways and stone and statues and stuff like that. And then you have them right next to these tiny cottages. But over the years, because it's gotten so expensive, even the tiny cottages, people take immaculate care of them. So these walks are gorgeous, right? Mm -hmm. And I get I get spoiled. I like being able to see everything be different. I like seeing the different kinds of architecture, the different kinds of landscape that people like having in their yards. The types of suburban bedroom communities, the types that my aunt was describing, they seem so bland and there's nowhere to walk to. <laughs> like I really like going to a place. I can walk to my dentist. How great is that? Um, so I, I just, we, we just, we decided to prioritize walkability over a large living space. Did, I'm, I, it sounds like this kind of stayed with you, um, kind of these observations, this interest in walkability. Um, what, what did that inspire you to, like, how did your life change after you sort of got the city bug? Well, mostly I think I just got more and more frustrated, <laughs> which I, I know happens to a lot of people. There's probably, you know how there's there's the stages of grief and oh, uh, yes. <laughs> there's there's probably some sort of equivalent that, that we can is. write for there strong is. town or for, <laughs> yeah, for strong towns. So, so I got really, really frustrated because I was realizing that I was, I was commuting every day. And the way that I solved that is I... I hate sitting in traffic. Absolutely hate it. Um, so I would leave at 5.30 in the morning and get there at 6 before the traffic started. And I would leave at 2.30 every day to go home so that I would miss all the traffic. If I left at 2.45, I would hit traffic. So I, I had this schedule for probably 10 years because I really, really didn't want to hit traffic. And then when I finally got enough um, got enough bravery to learn how to ride a bike. I started riding my bike one day to work 
which which took me about two hours because <laughs> because the work wasn't really you know it wasn't super close. But um, that's how that's how much like I I hated the idea of commuting to a different part of the city. So what was it that really? Like, I know traffic on the surface is just frustrating, but it sounds like for you, it was something more than just traffic. Yeah, because I find it physically uncomfortable to sit in a car. I remember when I turned 16 and my mom's like, okay, you can start learning how to drive. I'm like, nope, (laughs) I am not going to do that. I walked everywhere. And um, eventually I knew that I was going to have to get a license because I was going to have to drive to college. Uh, but I did, I did, I got my license like probably a few weeks before I had to start driving to college. I put it off as long as I physically could. It was the same thing. I'd get to school really early so I wouldn't have to pay for parking and I'd walk in. So I was walking around all over the place every day. It's, I think it's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And learning and learning to ride a bike was that came later in life for you as well. Much later, because my dad did not believe it was safe to ride bikes. It it um, unfortunately the the way that Ocean Beach is structured, where I grew up, there's there's this flatter spot that's right next to the coast. But then you get these really steep hills, and because it is rather crowded, the the lots are are fairly small. I, my parents were on a a fairly large lot for Ocean Beach. It was about 5,000 square feet with the the house being about 1,200, I think. That was considered to be a really big house for Ocean Beach. Most of them are about half that size. So so you get this hugely steep hill and lots of blind corners. Mm. If you want to learn how to parallel park, grow up in Ocean Beach. (laughs) I can only imagine. Yeah, so so he he thought that we would get killed and we didn't we didn't ride bikes at all in our childhood and unless we visited our grandparents who lived in Colorado. So so, <laughs> so did you tell your dad when you when you started riding your bike to work? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What did he yeah, say? He, he knew. Uh he, he just he said, "Well, just be careful." <laughs> <laughs> so, you run the Strong Towns Toastmasters group, which is a combination of two things that you care about: um public speaking and cities. So, I'd love for us to talk about both. First, can you tell me how you found out about Strong Towns and what resonated with you? Yeah, for for Strong Towns, I'd always had this this thing in my mind about, oh, our cities aren't designed quite like they should be. <laughs> so I, I was on the lookout for for other people or organizations that were having discussions about it. I'm like, I can't be the only one, right? And one of the blogs I follow is uh, Mr. Money Mustache, and he wrote an article that mentioned strong towns. So Anyway, I went to the site. I'm like, yep, this is the group of people who's having the, the right kinds of discussions and signed up. That was in 2017. What what stood out to you the most? Was there like one? Because I know different things can bring people into the Strong Towns conversation. Was there something in particular that really resonated with you? I think beca- because San Diego really is very mixed so, you know, there's a lot of discussions in strong towns about missing middle housing and things of that nature. That is not the reality for the neighborhood that I live in. I live in a duplex. There's a single family home across the street. 
There's a cake shop across the street. <laughs> There's a fourplex down the block. There's a lot of stuff going on in my neighborhood. It's very mixed up. And I like this kind of neighborhood. It was really when I started seeing the neighborhoods that my aunt lived in in Colorado, those bedroom communities, that I realized that not all of these places are built that way. And that it's really expensive to build things that way when they're so spread out and you have to walk or you, you can't walk somewhere. You have to drive. Some of these parking lots are so big. If I go to the store and the store is on one side of the parking lot and I get a few items, then my incentive is to drive to the other side of the parking lot to go to a different store. Which is, when you think about it, absolutely absurd. Oh, I, I know. I have to do this all the time. I had to do this yesterday. I went to the UPS store to drop off a package, and I wanted to go to this thrift store across the parking lot that has amazing, lightly used baby clothes. And I felt so dumb getting in my car from the UPS store and scooting over a little bit to park closer to the thrift store. But you just there's something about it that it's not designed to be walked across, you know. And it's dangerous. I've noticed people... This parking lot is kind of what Strong Towns would consider a second ring commercial district, like commercial strip mall, maybe becoming a third ring. Um, and we have a lot of these around Waco and people drive very dangerously through them because they're so underutilized. The parking lots are so underutilized that people just kind of zigzag all kind of ways. So you can't really predict what anyone's going to do. So it's actually, you actually feel safer being in the car than walking across, but um, but yeah, I totally understand what you, I totally understand how you feel. So let's talk about Toastmasters. For people who don't know what Toastmasters is, can you give a quick uh, explanation or a quick description of that program? Is it, would you call it a program? Toastmasters is an international organization that's focused on giving people a safe environment to practice their public speaking and leadership skills. And it's been around for about a hundred years. It's, it's, really, really well known and has just great meetings. <laughs> I, I joined because I, I have a, I had a huge public speaking fear. So, which I don't, I don't I think many it. people could probably tell just from listening to this podcast. It's, it's about practice. You just keep <laughs> practicing once a week and you don't have to do it a lot. But if you're consistent, you will get better. <laughs> so I'm curious because I've been to a few of your Toastmasters meetings and they're online. How is, is that new? Is all of, is all of Toastmasters online now? No, all of Toastmasters moved online during the pandemic. And there are, there were some clubs before the pandemic that were online only, but most Toastmasters clubs met in person. Honestly, I think meeting in person is a lot more effective because a lot of people will have more incentive to come to a meeting if they can see real people. However, because we we wanted to be able to invite people from all over the country to talk about Strong Town's topics, it made more sense to have an online Toastmasters club for Strong Towns. So going back to your own public speaking journey, can you tell us a little bit more about what motivated you to, to face your fear of public speaking? Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's a good question. Um, when I graduated from college, I got, I got a job where I was an independent contributor. And a lot of people have jobs like that where they don't necessarily need to interact with a lot of people or give presentations. They might just get work from their boss and do their work and interact with their, their core team. 
there's a couple of moments that that made me start researching how to help myself. And one of them was my boss thought it would be a great idea if we could introduce our team to the entire sales force by making a video about what each of us did. Now, my job was graphic designer and all that kind of stuff at the time. So I was the one recording these videos. And I sat down, you know, I'm behind the camera. <laughs> Not a big deal. Okay, everybody records their portion. Well, then it was time for me to get in front of the camera and record. And like, I could not remember anything. I couldn't, I couldn't remember what, what my job was, <laughs> even though I'd been doing it for like 13 years. I, I couldn't remember how to say my name properly. It was, it was so embarrassing. And then when I had, I had to cut my own footage together too, because that was my job. And a couple of other people were nervous, but I was absolutely terrified. And I remember looking at the screen and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, who is that poor, horrified woman trying to, trying to give some sort of message on this camera? Somebody needs to help her. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I, you know, it was me, so I had to help myself. Um, and that's, that's when I started looking around to see, well, what kind of things can I do that are not necessarily part of my day job that would help um, and then I also asked my boss to give me some opportunities to speak in front of people at my work so that I could get more used to it. So I actually started doing the um, new hire training. And the first couple of times I was super, super nervous. But then every time I gave the presentation, it got a little bit easier. So how did you go from there to starting the Strong Towns Toastmasters group? What, what inspired you to do that? What it was is is I realized because on on the Strong Towns site, um, I would I would consider myself more of a lurker rather than an activist. I'm not I'm not <laughs> out like I'm not like out every day, <laughs> like speaking to my city council and making changes. It's all it's all very like small community based stuff. Like I became very involved with my in person Toastmasters club. You know, like, you know, help helping people, like coaching them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then getting involved with, with our kids, um, whatever activities they have in school. So what I realized is there was probably a lot of other people like me out there. The people who are a little bit more introverted, they're, they're not necessarily, they don't feel like activists, or maybe they feel like they could be an activist, but they're really shy. And it's very intimidating to go and speak in front of people. And I knew how well the program worked for me. Being able to go in and practice every day and hear other people's stories was really very helpful to gain um, confidence. But hearing other people's stories also inspired me. It, and, and when you're in a mixed Toastmaster club, those stories are all over the place. It, people are talking about their kids and their dogs and maybe their career or whatever it is that, that they're interested in. And I thought to myself, well, if this is a strong towns focused Toastmaster club, those stories are going to have a lot of strong towns themes and it's going to inspire other people. I totally resonate with that. And I, I think the connection between, um, 
appreciating what Strong Towns is doing and kind of starting to think about ways that you could put that to work in your city, there could be a bit of a jump there with like, you know, if it's not knowing exactly where to start, if it's not knowing exactly who to talk to, if it's not knowing exactly which issue you kind of want to focus on. But I think one of probably the least, I don't know, thought about um, the sneakiest bridge is how to actually communicate what you think right? Like what you've observed and how your city could be better in this way. And so I think what you're doing and facilitating a space where people can practice um, bridging that gap from observation to articulation, right, is so critical to being able to truly advocate for for our communities. Yeah, absolutely. Some, some people have especially the quiet introverted ones, they've usually been observing for years about what's been going on in their community and they just don't know who to talk to. So if, if you're able to go into a place where people have similar stories about what they might've done in the past, you can out, you can start asking them questions. You can start learning from them or get inspired from them. For instance, there was one person when the club first started and she had successfully gotten a new sidewalk installed in a section of her town. There, there previously had not been a sidewalk, which meant that a, a whole section of the neighborhood couldn't safely get their kids from the homes to the school. And there was a place for the sidewalk. It just, you know, there just wasn't one there. So, and it took several years to get it made. She said, unfortunately, her kids are out of that school before it got constructed. But after the sidewalk put in, what she noticed is that people got to school safely um, and people started using the sidewalk, people with dogs and and you, you can meet your neighbors more. It really did change the, the structure of the community. So we have a couple like we have one woman right now who has a similar issue where there's a kind of this interruption where there's a sidewalk and then no sidewalk. And there it's not there's not a safe way to get from point A to point B. And she's one of her testimonials for joining the group is that she's been able to be inspired by other people, um, gain confidence. And now she's collected a few other people in her neighborhood who also want to make changes to her town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you told us some of those um, success stories because uh, I wanted to hear I wanted you to have a chance to share some of those. I. I remember one time I went to a city council meeting and gave a comment um, and I was terrified. I'm an introvert. I'm a social introvert. And when I really care about something, I have been described as articulate. But there's still nothing quite like the first time you decide to speak at a city council meeting and you have those three minutes and suddenly your brain can't remember if you're supposed to say hello or if you're supposed to call the mayor your honor. It was all over the place. Um but I was able to say what I what I needed to say. What I wasn't prepared for was the fact that the news crew was there and they wanted someone to interview afterwards. And of course, <laughs> I was their victim of choice. <laughs> um, yeah, but but fortunately, we, 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 I, we had that happen to one of our members too. <laughs> I think fortunately, I had absorbed enough strong towns concepts at that point that I felt relatively confident saying something for the evening news. Unfortunately, they edited out most of it, but. All that to say, 
the value of being able of being prepared and of dedicating time to actually communicate, like practicing how to communicate these concepts. Um, it's, it's just something that you can't emphasize how important that is enough. Um, and I, I'm, I'm glad you're creating a space for people to, to be able to, to practice that. Um, you mentioned this already, but what, one thing I, love about your story. And one of the main reasons why I asked for you to be on this podcast was because you've found a really unique way to advance the strong towns mission, um, without necessarily taking that to mean that you have to be on the front lines of community advocacy or activism, or you have to be the one out there doing all the, the drum beating. Um, you found a way to contribute in a way that aligns with your strengths and your interests I was curious, or I am curious, if you could give people listening um, maybe some advice if they might feel like they're in a similar boat. Maybe they're more introverted or they're more behind the scenes. They want to advocate for their city, but maybe they're not sure how to bridge what might seem to be a bit of a mismatch, right? Like, oh, I want to do this, but I don't think I have the personality or the talent or the strength necessary to do that well. Um, Just from your own experience, uh, what advice would you give them? Yeah, absolutely. First, understand you are not alone. <laughs> there are many of us introverts out there who see stuff who don't necessarily want to be advocates, like, or or we want to advocate, but we don't want to be the person in the spotlight because mm-hmm. it makes our stomach feel like it's tied in knots. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, there's lots of ways that you can support other people who who would who really get a lot of energy from doing that kind of stuff. I have three things, three pieces of advice that I'll give for any introvert who feels a little shy. And I'll talk a little bit more about each one, but it's going to be start small, follow your strengths and passions, and be kind to yourself. So start small. If you want to do something, do something really small. Kind of like if you're trying to get back in shape, you know, go ahead and and you have you haven't been running for a long time, just put on your running shoes and go for a three minute run. And that sounds ridiculous, right? A three minute run? Are you kidding me? I guarantee you'll be out there for more than three minutes. And you do that every day, you're gonna get in shape. You absolutely will get in shape because it's a habit, right? It's a habit that you build up. So start small, find something, and the second one, follow your your strengths and your passions. Figure out how you can start small about the thing that you're really, really excited about using something that you're passionate about. For instance, I'm a graphic designer. So a a lot of the stuff, or that's one of my skills. So a lot of the stuff that I can help with is stuff that if, if somebody else doesn't have graphic skills, I can make promotional material for them. That is something that I can put together. I can help put together a website. They might have all the engineering knowledge in the world, but if if they're too intimidated to put together a website, they won't be able to communicate their message. And working with different people is really that community part. That's, that's what makes these communities communities. You figure out what everybody's strengths and passions are and you work together to make it happen. One person doing everything, it's not going to work. And then the last thing, um, this this happened to me this year, actually, because I took on a lot of volunteer work in my daughter's scout troop. I actually hit a wall. I 
between my day job and doing the scout stuff, I think I volunteered over 500 hours. I got burned out. So the third thing is be kind to yourself, especially if you're an introvert. Take those small steps, do it a little bit at a time, but do not beat yourself up if you don't get as much done as you wanted to do. There is more work out there than any one of us can ever do. And if you burn out, you're not going to be able to help at all. So be kind to yourself, rest, and just be consistent consistently work on it, but don't, don't try to do too much all at once. (laughs) Those are great tips. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and yeah, just to add on to what you were saying at the beginning, one thing I read that has stayed with me, um, is this concept of supporting a local hero. Um, I think a lot of times people who want to care about their city think that they have to start something from scratch. They have to start something new, something that doesn't exist, there actually might be people in your community who are already advocating and could use some help, like someone who could manage an email database, someone who could print off some flyers, someone who could drop off a package, right? Um, so there are probably, there could be people in your community already doing more of the frontline work who could use some support. And uh, thinking of advocacy in terms of supporting people who are more on the front lines is, um, I think just a really, uh, freeing way to think about it rather than thinking that you have to be the one in in the front all the time. What is important to know about why it's worth it to really, um, think of the communication component to advocacy as something to really refine and, and, and to strengthen and to become good at? No matter where you are in your public speaking journey, it's important to practice. If you're really advanced, you might not be practicing in Toastmasters. But if you're not, if you if you're going to be speaking more and you haven't spoken for a while, it is a great place to polish up skills that you may have had before. And the other nice thing about it is that there's lots of different formats of speeches. Like for instance, the city council speech that's only three minutes long. We time those. (laughs) We time every speech and we talk about how it can be more effective. If And if they go over time, we tell them you went over time. That means that if you had something important to say after three minutes to that city council, that city council isn't going to hear it. So let's get it within the two to three minute mark and make it very tight and very effective. And we'll practice that until you feel confident that you can get up and say what you need to say in that amount of time. Well, not just that, but I think also being good at talking about something that you're interested in, it's not the same thing at being good at persuading people. Like there's a difference between the two, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. And also there are ways of talking about things for one audience that you're going to have to change the way that you talk about it for a different audience. If I wanted to talk about cities to a bunch of kids, I'm going to use a different kind of strategy than if I was talking about cities to college level right. folk. Right. And and I think this is where the, 
I think this is where uh, the real value is in investing time and developing good communication skills, because it's not just so much about being able to articulate something that you're passionate about. It's being able to read an audience, right? It's being able to contextualize your thoughts for a specific place, a specific group of people in a specific place at a specific point in time. Like, you know, you can go to a city council meeting and if I if I go up there and I'm trying to talk about an underutilized parking lot and about how blighted it is, I might lead with like, I really care about beauty and I want this city to be beautiful. But then I might realize, well, what is important to the people I'm speaking to and how can I make my case in terms of what matters to them, you know? Yeah, like like the people that you're speaking to might be concerned about the financial side exactly. of it more than more than the beautiful side of it or the accessibility side of it. Right. So you you can mention those things because it's who you are, but but your main your main focus is going to be well, I did a back of the napkin calculation and by changing this structure, we could be bringing in, in four times the amount of tax income for right. our city. And with without without making any difference in the usability of the area, you know that there's going to be still plenty of parking for everybody who wants to use it. But we we get more money, and it would be more pleasant, and you know, for the people like myself right. who want to have a better experience. Right. So that that might that might resonate better with that particular audience. Yeah. Um, and I think there's another side of this as well, which is just kind of this concept of. Um, I, Change is hard, <laughs> right? And I think so much about what Strong Towns stands for really is challenging the status quo and trying to help people reimagine their cities in a new way. But that is really difficult. Um, and so figuring out the best way to articulate a new vision for your community in a way that's not so scary or so overwhelming to the status, to, to your community, um, that's that's more of an art. That's really a skill. And that's, that probably takes way more time than it takes to actually understand the the concepts in the first place, knowing the concepts and being able to translate them um, in a way that can inspire people to consider change. That's a real art. And that happens. I'm sure that takes years to really master. But um, I think that's, I think that's a big part of what we're trying to do at Strong Towns is not just say what we think, but really figure out strategic ways to inspire people to be open to change. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with you about that. <laughs> so for you, Jennifer, as someone, um, you gave some really good tips um, for folks who are um, perhaps feeling introverted and not sure um, how to get started. Um, as someone who's been intentionally working you know, to improve your public speaking and communication skills, what are some tips that you, w- you would give to someone who, who, who wants to advocate for change in their community, um, who wants to go ahead and jump in and, and get started? Um, wh- what are some communication tips you might share from your experience uh, in this public speaking world? Well, for one thing, the, one of the things that's the most valuable is learning to listen better. It's something that I'm still working on. When you when you're trying to become a better communicator, you have to realize it's not just about your ideas. It's about other people's experiences and <laughs> interpretations of what you're talking about. When you learn how to listen better and have empathy for other people's experiences, then you in turn can you can change your message so that they can understand what you mean better. 
And then also know that it's a journey and a process. <laughs> your your public, your communication skills are going to get better and then they're going to get worse and then they're going to get better again. And at some point you're going to hit a wall. This is just like learning music, right? You know, oh yeah, I'm improving, I'm improving, I'm improving. And then suddenly you plateau and then you get worse. And then, <laughs> then you have to really work hard to get up to the next level. That's, it's just like any skill, public speaking and communication is exactly the same, but it's worth continuing to work on because those skills are what build our communities. It is what holds us together and ideas that somebody else might have might be the next idea that, that takes off and reshapes things, makes the quality of life go up for everybody. One last thing, and you're you're going to fail a lot. You're going to hit that plateau or whatever. You're going to say something. You're going to put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> I, I have been known to do that lots. But the thing is, if you don't try and you, you're not willing to fail, you will never make any progress. You have to be willing to fail. You have to go into it knowing that you're going to put your foot in your mouth Come up with some scripts about what you can do to make it better. <laughs> but keep trying, keep failing. You'll, you'll start succeeding too. And that will feel really great. But yeah, you're going to have to be okay with failing. <laughs> yeah. And even on the the days um, where you might fail, you never know who, who around you is being inspired to get going be, just because you're there saying something right. That's one thing that I have found to be true over and over again with Whenever I've gotten involved in something in my community, just being there, even if I had rough and unscripted questions or rough and unscripted comments, um, generally someone comes up to talk to me afterwards to be like, oh, thanks for being here or ask a question or I've been thinking the same thing, right? Like want want to talk and swap stories. So um, that's really what it's all about, right? It's being, it's being present. It's, it's learning to, learning to bring to life again the fact that at the heart of our communities is a conversation, right? Like our cities, they they are bred, they are changed, they are developed, they are destroyed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> by conversation, by who's, who's, who's talking, who's being part of that conversation. So any attempt to be part of that conversation um, is a good one. And yeah, over time, you'll get better and better. Okay, Jennifer, so it's time for our last question of the episode. If someone was coming through your part of, of San Diego for a few hours, um, where should they go to get a slice of life, a slice of local culture? Do you have like a favorite coffee shop, park, museum, restaurant that you'd like to recommend? All right. Well, this is a great question. Like I said, San Diego has a lot of different areas. But my particular area is very close to three really cool areas. If you are into the nightlife, you're going to go downtown to the Gaslamp District. And there are so many fun things I've heard. I'm not into the nightlife. <laughs> there are so many fun things that a person could do, uh, restaurants and clubs and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, if you're into the ocean, there's there's some great boats that are also museums that you can look at. If you are not into the nightlife and you're like me and you enjoy walking around and museums and stuff like that, then you'll go about a mile to Balboa Park, which is an absolutely gorgeous park in San Diego. That's an amazing right? place. I love Balboa it Park. It is. 
right next to the San Diego Zoo. Um, if you if you don't want to pay for entrance, there are free museums you can go to mixed up with the paint the ones that you have to pay for. And if you go on a weekend, people are always out setting up their own booths, and you can see all this beautiful artwork. We saw a snake charmer one time. I mean, there's just all sorts of stuff. And then the last place near where I live in the mile in the other direction is Old Town. Old Town is one of the oldest places in San Diego, and it has some structures that were built here um, just by some of the some of the settlers way back in the day. Oh, you can get great Mexican food. There's lots of little little shops that sell a lot of really cool things if you're a tourist. Yeah, Old Town is awesome. I got to see both I got to see Babella Park and Old Town when I went to San Diego. <sighs> a year ago, maybe two I can't I can't keep track of time. But those are those are some great Balboa Park reminds me of Spain. There's a huge park in Madrid. Um yeah. And one of my favorite memories was walking through there with a friend, just ambling, not really having a specific destination in mind. And we stumbled upon this outdoor plaza that was connected to a restaurant where they were playing jazz. And it was like an art sculpture garden. So we walked in to see the art. And then we decided to stay for like a drink or a glass of wine and listen to the music. And I was about to just weep tears of joy. And I was like, this is what city should be like. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. That, that's, that's why I live here. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Jennifer, um, thank you so much for taking time to come um, on the show. I really appreciate you um, making time to share your story and to share the, uh, this great advice with us. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, thanks for listening. Um, if you have someone that you'd like to recommend to be on the show, you can submit their name. You can nominate a guest using the, the form in the show notes. Um, we will link to it. We'll also link to um, the podcast that Jennifer runs with her husband for kids and the uh, spots around town that she recommended. So thanks so much. And um, yeah, if you're listening to this and wanting to start getting involved in your community, um, you can learn a lot about what we do at Strong Towns and what that might look like for you by visiting uh, strongtowns.org. I will be back in two weeks with another episode. Mm-hmm.